Hey, Typology Tribe, it's that time again. Here we are in the Typology Studios. <laughs> hey, Ian, how are you? It's like we never leave here. <laughs> Isn't it? It's amazing. But I'm never sad to be here in the Typology Studio with you, Anthony Skinner. Oh, uh, same. And we are super excited today because we've got a really special guest that we've been working on for a while to uh, get our schedules linked together. He's showing up today. That's right. The great Louis Giglio is Come on with us today. On. Now, here's where this is going to get interesting. Yes. Okay. So, I know mm -hmm. that Louis didn't know his number until yesterday. Right. Okay? Uh-huh. So, that means that, and I'm not going to do the big reveal right now as to what, what his type is. Yeah. But he's coming in like, you know, with a limited amount of information about the Enneagram. Yeah. He's a tremendously self-aware person. Yeah, someone who's done a lot of work. He's done a lot of work. Yes. And But we're going to be with somebody for whom the Enneagram and learning about his type, it's just like it's all going to be fresh, man. Yeah, yeah. And and I have a lot of questions for him. And, you know, I think I, I we've never done a show where someone is basically coming in saying, hey, I, I just took the IEQ-9 yesterday. Right. I just read about my type last night. I'm assuming that's what he's going to say. Yeah. Let's talk about my type. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be great. So everyone, if you don't know who Louie is, he's pastor of Passion City Church He's the original visionary behind the passion movement. This is a guy who has spoken and speaks in front of hundreds oh, yeah. of thousands of people. Yes. Um, he's written a number of books. Um, and I I mean, I really, I can't wait for, for folks to learn more about him. And I can't wait for him to learn more about him. Yes. Today, as we jump into this show with the wonderful Louis Giglio. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Louis Giglio, welcome to Typology. So good to be with you, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, I have looked forward to this interview for a long time. I know we've tried to make it work on a few occasions, and uh, we've missed each other, but here we are. Hey, today's our day, and I'm really pumped about it. Uh, this interview spurred me on to actually find out where I fit on the Enneagram, and so thank you for that. And uh, I feel like I have just joined civilization today. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. And you, you actually learned your type from my IEQ-9 test, right? I did, and thank you for that. Yep, and uh, we'll let people know what that is a little bit later. We'll keep the suspense going as long as possible. But yeah. I thought I must be whichever type doesn't like to take tests. That's the type I was convinced I was. And I'm 61 and a half years old, so I have that sort of internal thing that says, hey, wait it out. Uh, there'll be a day when people aren't taking the Enneagram anymore. And then I realized this is an ancient thing. It's been around for like centuries and centuries and centuries. So I am now a um, identified Enneagram type, and I'm very excited to dive in to find out what that means and um, how I can become a better person because of it. Well, this is exciting because you've now only just learned your type. And do you want to do the big reveal? 
Okay, drum roll, everybody. Are we All ready? Right. Yep. I am not a number nine. and i'm gonna be perfectly transparent for a minute and then people can laugh if you're driving i encourage you to pull over because you're gonna laugh at me so hard right now you're gonna wreck your car or wet your pants or both but i took your test and i got the results back on my phone and so i'm looking i don't have great eyesight without my glasses i'm looking down and it says e i mean i e q nine IEQ 9, everything's IEQ 9, IEQ 9, 9, 9, 9, 9. And I just think it says in first glance that I'm a 9. So I start reading about the 9s before, <laughs> before I investigate more. And I'm like, man, I'm telling you that does not sound like me, but I'm open to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, you, you, could not, you, you could not be further from a 9 than... And like so the digital Pluto is, and Mirth. My wife is in the room. She says, well, what does it say? I said, well, it says that I'm a nine, that I'm a peacemaker. And she's like, oh, really? And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I read the short description and she goes, yeah, no, that's not you. So <laughs> I read a little further and I go, oh, okay, I'm not a nine. I'm actually a three. And that made a little bit more sense. So... Welcome to the world of threes. Man, indeed. Threes, the achievers, sometimes called the performers. Uh, Threes, how do they see the world? Threes see a world in which people are only valued for what they do rather than for who they are inside. Okay? So threes, along with twos. That sounds like a big negative right off the bat. Okay, so, so here's the deal. The Enneagram, what, one of the things that makes it so cool is, is it reveals that what's best about you is what's worst about you, and what's worst about you is what's best about you. Great. Right? So it's not only, I mean, who doesn't want to call it, do a, a test called Strengths Finder? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, well, that sounds good to me no matter what. But what makes the Enneagram so cool is it, it reveals uh, that which is beautiful and that which is broken about us. So, yeah, you'll hear some stuff today as we talk about three that is, might make you grimace a little bit, but, but hopefully also make you feel like, holy smokes, I really am created in the, in the, the remarkable image of God. Yeah, that's, so. that's cool. I, I, how do you determine, and I know this is going to be a little bit later in the podcast, but how do you know which of your wings is your wing? Okay, great question. So there are two numbers adjacent to yours. So that's in your right. case— Right. So in your case, it would be four or two. Yeah. So you could only have a three with a four wing or a three with a two wing. You can't have a three with a seven wing or a three with a six wing. It's got to be four or two. But how do you know which one you're more more leaning towards, the two or the four in my case? Right. I mean, I think I know, but how do I really know? Because you didn't tell me that and I'm really counting on you. Oh, man. Listen, <laughs> let, let, let me help you out, okay? So the, the three with a four wing has, uh, you know, the four is called the individualist. Sometimes they're called the romantic. Um, they tend to measure self-worth through achievement, you know, especially in terms of career. Uh, they tend to hide inner struggles about uh, their personal value, you know, 
Um, they are much more in touch with shame than a three with a two wing would have. Um, and uh, I could go on and on, but another thing I would say is threes uh, are, are, you know, image con- is an image conscious number, right? It projects an image of success. So that's very important to the three, right? To um, project a or craft a persona that signals to other people, I'm a success because threes actually kind of equate success with love unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the more the more successful I am, the more loved I am. That's wow. sort of an unconscious thing that's going on. Now, the four has a real hang up about authenticity, right? So being original and authentic is terribly important to the four. So if you are a three with a four wing, typically you're a little tortured, right? <laughs> Because, all right, so you, you speak in front of huge crowds all the time, right? Yeah. When, when you walk off stage, is there ever a little voice in your head that says, yeah, you know, Lou, you're kind of a fraud. You kind of like pulled the wool over people's eyes again. And do you ever have that experience? Absolutely. Okay. So that, to me, possibly could indicate a three with a four wing because your four authentic side is prosecuting your three image crafting side and kind of <laughs> wagging its finger. Yeah. That's beautiful. If you were a, a three with a two wing, um, you, there'd be a little bit different. You, your focus would be on gaining admiration while um, sort of helping via other people via personal achievement, you know? You'd be probably more extroverted than a three with a four, um, et cetera. So I, but it does sound to me like you're a, a, a three with a four wing, possibly. Yeah. Hey, I just want to let people know also at the top of the podcast, I'm not charging anyone for uh, them sitting in on my therapy today. It's all <laughs> and it's all gratis on me. Yeah, but, but my meter's running. And uh, so... You know, someone's going to pay. <laughs> okay, so when you started to read about three, what did your, how, what was your inner experience like? Was it positive, negative, neutral? What were you think, feeling? Well, you know, when you, you, when you start, fortunately, uh, um, in the, the material, the report I've gotten, this uh, IEQ9 report is so thorough that, it comes with all the positive first. And so that's very good. If you're a three, you're liking all that positive. Then when it starts talking about how you can be perceived or how other people perceive you um, and what your weaknesses are, obviously it's kind of like, you know, that, that mirror gets pretty clear. So I I liked it in general. Um, I don't, I've never really loved the term a type, um, I, I'm around some A types, and I don't I don't necessarily love them. Um, no offense, um, but I I do identify with a lot of it, and I like to see things happen. And I believe that part of my gift in life, Ian, has been to help things happen. You know, to to really bring about things that other people didn't believe were possible. And so I like kind of landing in that zone where that seems to live, and. And I felt great about it. Yeah. I got a lot of work to do based on some of my initial reading uh, because I've still got some time left on Earth. And 
Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, and I guess you get asked this a lot, but in the Enneagram, you come to terms with your strengths, you get face-to-face with your weaknesses. How, how much commitment do you feel like anyone should make to lifting up all the weaknesses versus really just embracing the fact that this is what my strengths are? And under the, you know, in the grace of God, of course, we all want that humility in that sense of uh, that sense of kindness that God has bestowed on us but how, how much energy do we need to really get hung up on not being what we are yeah so I think one of the beautiful things about the Enneagram is it helps us pay attention to what's happening in our interior world in such a way that we might become uh, our more it's going to sound a little cliched, uh, our, our more authentic God-created self. Um, and we might, you know, in business parlance, we might call that self-awareness, emotional intelligence, uh, where we develop, I think, an interior witness that in real time can monitor and regulate uh, and mitigate our weaknesses. Yeah. Y- y- you know what I mean? So that our strengths can come to the fore. Uh, so, so many people just live on autopilot. You know, that that's part of the message I think of, of scripture, right? Is, is wake up, live wide awake. Yeah. And, uh, so I love the Enneagram because it, I think it helps people live with more conscious awareness so that they just don't waste time in sleep mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the one of the great wisdom texts I think in scripture is it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought about when you said that about this 3-4, you know, war that might be going on inside somebody who's a high achiever wants to come across as looking like they've got it all under control but yet has a desire to be authentic and an individual and you were saying, you know, I might get finished with a talk and have this little internal battle going on and I think that the first thing I thought when you said that was that verse, you know, a double-minded man isn't just unstable in that moment, but that instability tends to work its way out in their whole life. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I'm a big fan of Thomas Merton. You know, Merton's been a huge uh, sort of influence on my spiritual journey. And, and he would say for himself, this is a quote from Merton, for me, to become a saint means to become myself. And I think what he meant by that was um, that when we are truly ourselves, that's when we are most bringing glory to God. Uh, human beings are the only creatures in all the earth who can pretend to be something other than who they are and what they are, right? My dog cannot do that. <laughs> an oak tree cannot pretend to be an elm tree. Right. Exactly. But, but humans can hide behind all kinds of masks and they do. Right. And the Enneagram reveals the mask. Right. And says, what would it be like if you could not, if you could come and live out in the open without all these adaptive strategies you picked up as a kid to protect yourself, which in the end only prevents you from being yourself? Yeah, man, that's pretty profound. I like that. I I was thinking, you know, about my ultimate goal in life, and um, I've been wrestling with this a little bit. I'd love to hear what you think about it. 
But, you know, I, I, I encourage people and teach and, and preach, to use our church term, you know, to be the best version of who God made you to be, um, to go after the best dream that God created for you. Because God made us all for purpose, right? He made us all to, to have a great uh, sense of purpose and destiny. Um, but I wonder, like, where is that fine line for me, Ian, between wanting to be the best version of Louis Giglio and then yet being like Christ, which is really what I'm called to be the most clearly through Scripture. Yeah. So let me go back to that. There's a lot of different ways, as you know, that we could probably parse that question. But I would just go back to that Merton idea and say, when you are most truly yourself, that is when you are most purely like Christ. Christ in you. Because as long as the mask is on, it is obscuring Christ in you. Wow, and that's right. So I think, you know, that's part of how the Enneagram, because here's the other thing, right? When we tell people, you know, we want you to be the best version of yourself, you know, I think part of the frustration they have is, yeah, but how? Like, how, and how would I know once I was there? You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, the truth is, is that our true self is not a thing at all, right? It's like you, you're never actually going to fully arrive at, because the human person is more of a process than a thing. Does that make sense? Like we're constantly changing, yeah. constantly evolving. <clears throat> if we take scripture seriously, God is still creating us or co-creating us, yeah. right? With our, with our consent. So... You know, I think uh, the beauty of the Enneagram is, is it can, it's one of many tools. It's not magic. It's not the only tool I recommend to people to use as a, as a spiritual, a piece of spiritual technology, right? Yeah. Um, but, but what I do tell them is, hey, this is a great way for you to develop self-knowledge. And w- as Calvin said, without self-knowledge, there is no knowledge of God. Wow. So that's... That's where I think the value is in it. And I think that's how the Christ in you can become more visible to others is by, hey, let's let's let go of the game attached to my threeness so that yeah. my true self can emerge. Yeah. Man, I couldn't affirm more what you're saying, Ian. And I um I man, I resonate so much with what you're what you're saying. I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned strength finders earlier and I think I'm trying to think back to like 15 years ago. It seems like everyone I knew did strengths finders, including me. And I'm sure I sat in four or five leadership groups where we had some strengths finder expert come in and get our team together and all that. And it was all helpful. Um, all you know, everything you really put your mind to can be helpful. But I think as Enneagram came along, I was less eager to get on board again, you know, <laughs> here comes the next thing, you know, and it's going to tell me something else about myself. But I was amazed. I have to say, Ian, probably more than anything I've been amazed by in culture at how strongly, uh, defiantly um, committed to Enneagram the millennials are and Gen Z particularly. Um, and man, if I were to say in a setting somewhere along the way, Hey, I haven't taken the Enneagram. I'm not kidding. People just were like, you, I'm done with you. You are dead to me from this point <laughs> forward. I don't know you. 
and I have no time for you. I'm not exaggerating when I say I've seen that look on people's face. And why do you think it is that Enneagram speaks so powerfully to the millennial generation? Hmm. Or do you think it does? I mean, is that a valid question even? Yeah, no, I think it is. You know, years ago, when I first learned the Enneagram in the 1990s, uh, the person I learned it from used to say that the Enneagram wasn't very useful until the second half of life, when you have exhausted all the nonsense of your type. You well, know what I mean? Yeah, so good. And, and you used to, you know, at that point, you're like beginning to ask more, you know, if the first half of life is the parable of the talents, the second half of life is the prodigal of the son. Right. And you're beginning to ask different questions in the second half of life. It's not what's my adequacy? How can I kick ass and prove to the world that I'm really, you know, gifted and blah, blah, blah. Now it's more like, how do I go home? Uh, how do I forgive? Yeah. Uh, how do I get how do I get ready to die? Really? Um, but I think times have changed. I think, you know, I have kids who are millennials and Gen Z's and and. and these kids seem to me, given like the levels of depression and anxiety, and I think cultural trauma, uh, I think the second half of life now is no longer 40. I, I think it can happen much earlier in our culture. And, and then secondly, so it's applicable to then millennials and Gen Zs. I, I, I also think that um, they're a, a very self-reflective bunch and who doesn't want to know and be known? You know, uh, who doesn't want to understand um, the wreckage and the wonder in the rearview mirror of their lives? Wow. Yeah, I think probably threes don't. <laughs> well, you raise an interesting point. <laughs> I have spent so little time looking in the rearview mirror of my life. In fact, when I do introspect and when I am reflective, I... The question I raise a lot, Ian, is why don't I spend more time looking in the rearview mirror? Because I'm not sure if, I, if I've spent a collective hour looking in the rearview mirror in my life. This is going to be really good, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm feeling good inside. My, ther my inner therapist is going, I found a friend. Um, so number one, threes are, every number has a relationship with time. Okay, a different relationship with time. And threes are very future-oriented people. Um, you are always thinking out into the future as to what is the next task I have to complete? What is the next thing I have to do? Now, I'm a four, right? My orientation is more toward the past, which is why, you know, I write songs, I write memoirs. I'm, You know, I tend to be more reflective about issues like, well, I'm much more in touch with feelings typically than a three is, yeah. right? And I speak from that center. So threes, eights, sevens, those are the three most assertive numbers on the Enneagram. All three of you really struggle with self-reflection. You're, you're, you're just, it's just not, an, uh, by temperament, I think, not natural to you, right? So part of the growth for a three is learning how to stop long enough to put down the to-do list and the how do I craft the right persona thing to be able to self-reflect and ask the question, who am I? Where have I come from? Uh, and 
before going by default directly into the future. It, yeah. it's, it isn't to say forget the future. It's just to say, uh, to ask, oh, dare I say it, more existential questions without becoming self-absorbed. Yeah. So if I were working with you as your spiritual director or therapist, one of the things that I would be trying to get are. you to do. What's <laughs> <laughs> going on I, my resume as of right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure what that's going to get you in terms of anywhere. But, but uh, you know, I would say that it's um, one of the challenges for threes is to move them when they're unhealthy. Okay, so remember, there are levels of health. There are self-aware healthy threes and ones that are not doing any work at all. So if you're not doing any work at all, uh, like probably when you were a young man, tell me if I'm correct, you were probably more in your worst moments concerned with appearance than you were with substance. Does that sound true? or? Yeah, it's probably uh, moderately true. Okay. So as you uh, begin to do your work, we want to start to invert that formula and begin to think about uh, our interior world. You might begin to think about issues of um, how can I live from not just a doing space, but from a feeling space? Because uh, threes typically... I hate to tell you this, are the number on the Enneagram that have the most trouble identifying their own feelings and the feelings of others. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. they, re- they really struggle to name what... They have tons of feelings. They just don't know what to call them. Yeah. Right? And also, just helping you learn... Um, there's a, well, let me put it this way. Evelyn Underhill was a great, great Christian thinker of the 20th century. And she once said that... Uh, we spend most of our lives conjugating the verb to do when the fundamental verb of the spiritual life is to be. Yeah. So teaching a three how to be, not just do. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you saying that, Ian, because I think for me, just looking back across all the way to my earliest days, like some of my most uh, amazing, some of the most amazing days of my life were college era when I wasn't speaking. I didn't have a platform of any kind. I I rode a bus to school uh, downtown to commute to university every day. And, um, you know, my influences were heavy, like Richard Foster type people. That's that's where I came from. And um, and probably on the spiritual side, more people like A.W. Tozer um, then, uh, Hey, let's go, you know, a Billy Sunday, let's go tell everybody the story of Jesus and win as many people as possible. And I came from a contemplative, uh, space. And I think even to this day, when I am more in touch with Jesus and more committed to the way of Jesus, I think I do tend more to the best side of whatever you're talking about. And when my relationship with Jesus is, is you know, on a little bit more thin ice because of my choices or schedule or whatever, I definitely see myself over here in this other space. And it, mm-hmm. I think the barometer is my, my space meter and how much space I'm giving, not just to be reflective, but to reflect on Him and reflect on the things that are ultimate and the things that matter most. 
Man, that is powerful. And I, I think of two things that I, I, I tell people about the Enneagram and how, you know, and, and like I said, and I want to make this clear to everybody, it is not a standalone tool. There, I want everybody to use all the spiritual disciplines, you know, not, not just the Enneagram, you know, which is when people first learn it, that becomes their tendency for a little while, right? Um, you know, on, on my car, I have this uh, lane warning departure thing, you know, so that if I start to drift out of my lane, my steering wheel starts to vibrate, right? And I often like to think of the Enneagram as being my lane detection warning system. When I start to leave my lane, right, because of the self-knowledge that I've gained from the Enneagram, I, my, my steering wheel starts to shake and says, are you sure you want to change lanes? Because th there may be a collision involved if you do, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I, uh, I think it can be really helpful, uh, you, know, you know, knowing when you are in a good space and when you are about to leave a good space. Yeah. You know, that uh, lane warning thing gets turned on um, somehow. I don't know who turns it on. Uh, angels possibly or, you know, right. but I've never turned it on, you know, but it's on all of a sudden. And threes only really care about how fast they can get that thing turned off. <laughs> yes. Yes. They're not that interested in why it's on or what it's protecting them from or saving them from. They are like, how did this get on? And it needs to get off right now. Yes. And I think that, you know, that has definitely been the, the best and the worst thing about my life. And fortunately, I don't live alone. I've got a phenomenal wife and she's been the best thing that God's ever given to me. And I've always been blessed, Ian, like you, with just an extraordinary people around me. Um, just a, an extraordinary team of people currently and always have had just the best and the brightest people. And they help me to the degree that I let them, um, you know, keep things within the lanes within reason. But a guy like me and a lot of threes listening today are, are saying, hey, I don't want any lane warnings because, you know, give Steve Jobs a lane warning and we don't have the iPhone in our hand right now, or we're, we, you and I are not on FaceTime right now. So help, just talk to me a little bit today about the balance, because I feel like when you said before that three think about the next task or the next thing to do, I rarely think about tasks and I rarely think about things to do because I'd like to couch it in better terms because I want to think better of myself. I want to think about the next thing that hasn't been done yet. And that is a task, but it's more of a vision. It's more of a, a wish, I guess, that something could be different, not just for me, but they could benefit the greater common good for all people. And what? how would you encourage threes to you know, that have that sense right now and maybe are even pushing back a little bit on anything that would restrict them from, you know, doing something that everybody else has said can't be done. Thank you. It's an amazing question. And I happen to have an answer for it based on something I've read only recently. I've been doing a study on St. Augustine. All right. Well, I hope you have enjoyed part one of our two-part series with author, speaker, pastor, and Enneagram 3, Louis Giglio. You're going to have to tune in next week to catch the answer to his last question. And next week, we even take a deeper dive into the world and the redemption of those who identify 
as an Enneagram 3. I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope you've enjoyed it. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner from Ian and myself. Hey, we wish you a fantastic week. See ya.